somewhere in a remote, uncharted region of a planet called Earth. Greetings, my friends. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. Tales from the Silent Planet. Hello and welcome to Tales from the Silent Planet. I am one of your hosts, Daniel Schultz. And this is Nick Wells again. Glad to have you all back with us tonight. Yeah, so, Nick, it's been a, a couple of weeks since NaNoWriMo has started. Sort of at the end of the second week here. And for those of you that don't know, NaNoWriMo is National Novel Writing Month. Both of us started, or attempting at least, to participate in this month's challenge to write 50,000 words. Yes, and uh, for those of you that, well, you're the only one that knows, Daniel, uh, that I was really doing it anyway, but uh, due to real-life circumstances, I just was not able to really get anywhere close to the point where I could hit 50,000 words by the end of the month without letting certain real-life situations uh, kind of fall to the wayside. So, I have gracefully bowed out. I am still working on my story at a much slower pace. So I am still writing because I love to write. But uh, Daniel, where are you at with your with your uh, novella? Well, I am actually I've written twenty thousand over twenty thousand words. For the first week, I averaged three thousand words per day, and then uh, I took Sunday off from writing. Didn't write on Sunday, and then this week I've written. 2,000, and then uh, these last couple of days, just 1,000 words per day. So I have dropped off some, but I'm still on track to finish, and hopefully I will be able to get to the 50,000. But this year has gone a lot better for me than usual. The past couple of years, I've started sort of strong and then tapered off after the first week, or sometimes like the first couple of days and maybe gone back to it periodically throughout the month, but this month I've stuck with it so far and been very diligent, so I am hoping to to get to the 50,000, but if not, I, I think I did quite a bit and have gotten uh, a lot better in just what I have done. I think my writing has improved and I've made some strides in actually getting things accomplished past a short story level. Well, that's really great. And I think from what you told me before, I mean, you, you had maxed out at 20,000 words at, at your best in years past. So you're pretty much. Yeah, I've already I've already exceeded what I had done in years past. So and that was throughout the whole month. So, yeah, I'm I'm really pretty happy with what I've done so far. Not a, not everything I've written has been gold, but we discussed when we were talking about together about this we discussed how it's best to, to when you hit those patches where you don't think what you're doing is that great is you finish it up and move on to the next part next scene whatever it is and try to do better and you can go back and revise some but for the most part you want to just kind of keep pressing forward and uh, it was interesting after I kind of gave you that advice I watched a, a video where or no, did I read it Regardless, I, I read a couple. I think I think I read a couple of the pep talks that they have on the NaNoWriMo website. I read Neil Gaiman and Brandon Sanderson and Patrick Rothfuss, all names we have mentioned in the past two episodes. They, one of them, I think it was Patrick Rothfuss, recommended 
that you actually do revise if you need to. And he basically said, oh, break all the rules. So that was kind of his pep talk, is it's okay to break the rules sometimes and go back and revise and work on another project if you need to, as long as you are continuing to write. And I also have another friend who is participating in NaNoWriMo who has written, is about where you're at with having written some, but just not having the time and having too many obligations to to write but I, I think that it's good to think about writing not in some way that you're just trying to meet a deadline or this goal but rather in just continuing to do it and continuing to move forward and improve I think that's the danger in almost anything you love uh, when you make it into a competition like not saying NaNoWriMo is bad, but when you make it into a competition like, hey, I want to hit X amount of words by this date, you know, if you fall behind, it just becomes almost like homework to you, or at least to me. And so it kind of takes the fun out of the writing. And I was actually listening to uh, some advice by Stephen King, and, you know, he just, when he used to review giving the top 10 by Stephen King, you know, just made the point that. Stephen King's just like, have fun, make them real, you know, enjoy it. And um, so as long as you have the right mentality for NaNoWriMo, it's a great thing, I think. But I feel bad for the people like myself who can fall into that trap pretty easily where it's like, it just feels like homework and a lot of hard work as opposed to writing for the sake of writing because you love it. Yeah, and I, I think that that, that's the most important thing is is loving to write enjoying what you're doing and then from that if you can develop a schedule or a an amount of words that you're trying to write per week or even per day for someone that is more diligent then that can come later but the the first part is just enjoying what you're doing and not just trying to accomplish it for the sake of accomplishing it, but rather for the, the joy of doing it. So, Daniel, what uh, what have you been reading this last week since we spoke? Well, this week I have actually picked up a Stephen King novel, which I never thought I would do in my life. But after reading his on-writing book last week, as we did, talked about it, I, I gave in and I did pick up The Dead Zone, actually using the the Overdrive app, which is an app that allows you to use your library, local library card and check books out, check out ebooks and audiobooks from the library. That sounds really cool. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, I, I had not actually used it. I downloaded it a while ago and then my library card had lapsed or I didn't, it wasn't, it was from years ago and so it didn't have the the ability to actually use the app but recently we did we updated our library cards i decided to check on there to see if they had some stephen king books and they sure did so i started reading the dead zone and i'm about halfway through and so far really enjoying it it's one of his more uh, thriller books that are more science fictiony or uh, i guess fantasy if you want to it, yeah more fantasy but the and less horror and it, it's really interesting i've enjoyed it so far it's pretty easy read and a pretty quick read but there is definitely some stuff to learn from it yeah i've really really enjoyed king quite a bit since we uh since we kind of got through that um i actually started listening to dance macabre uh which is his book about writing horror as opposed to just writing in general and um, I was talking to you about it I uh, I drive home from work through a very rural part of my uh, my home and it's about a 40 minute drive and it was very dark like you know it's about one o'clock and I started listening to this this audiobook and the narrator is phenomenal for the book but uh, he, he is basically talking about Stephen King Stephen King is recounting his uh, his first memory of the Blair Witch Project, which came out when I was a bit younger, and I got real freaked out from that movie when I was a kid, and I never really watched it. And just listening to Stephen King 
talk about how it scared him and talk about why it was so incredibly scary, it made me turn around and check to see if somebody was in my backseat or not, which I haven't done in probably 10 years because it's, it's only something I feel like that, you know, usually kid, like kids do. And they're afraid of the unknown or afraid of the dark. And, you know, that was me. I was that little kid turning around in my car being like, there might be somebody in my backseat. But of course there wasn't still here so well actually i i watched a video where stephen king was talking at a conference he's giving a lecture he gave some statistic about people that don't lock their car doors and he said so make sure when you get back in your car you check behind you <laughs> that is fantastic yes yeah, so i thought of that when you had told me about that yeah I, I i too got that book i think i mentioned it last week and i've started reading through it a little bit at a time it's sort of my my bathroom break book at this point but it is uh it is interesting i have not dealt with a lot of horror in my life as far as watching it or, or reading it i'm really selective about what i do because i just don't really enjoy too much of it but there is something interesting about actually reading about the concept of it and why it works and and then just the history of it as well yeah i agree it, uh, it actually makes me want to get a little bit more into it. Like, I'm excited to read more of King in time. But, but yeah, so, uh, that really great, really great book. Check it out if you uh, get the chance. Dance Macabre. I've kind of been trying to figure out what book it is that I actually want to get into next. And, uh, aside from Dance Macabre. And uh, we actually got a rec our first recommendation on Twitter. I was trying to look it up on my phone, but unfortunately, I am brand new to Twitter, so I cannot find the actual tweet. But it was uh, Kurt Vonnegut's Cat's Cradle. So I apologize that I do not have your name handy. But, uh, you know, we heard your request. That's something that I've actually wanted to check out for some time. So I think I, uh, I, think I may be next on my list. So thank you for the recommendation. Yeah, I remember when I was a senior in high school, I had this pretty good English teacher who made books like Siddhartha and Heart of Darkness actually fun to read because he would talk about them and in, in a way that was actually interesting. But I remember him recommending Kurt Vonnegut to me at the time and talking about it and nerding out about it with another student that had read it or was reading it. And... I always meant to pick it up, so maybe, maybe now is the time to do so. Yeah, yeah, I've heard a lot of good about Vonnegut, so it's something that uh, good reason to check it out. And I also wanted to give a shout out to a few more people from Twitter. We got a bunch of people, but uh, we got personalized messages from Calvinist Vader, Calvinist Hawkeye, and from Deathbroke. So uh, thank you all for the messages. That's been great look forward to communicating with them in the future uh, if you guys want to check them out on twitter definitely do so but uh daniel unless you have anything else i think now is as good a time as any to jump into our book of the evening yeah and uh you took my recommendation from the past couple weeks about ender's game about reading ender's game so you listened to that right over the last couple of days and what is your overall impression of the book i guess we'll start out with uh sort of talking about it in generalities and then after we do that we can kind of get into more specific spoilery parts at, after that yeah we figured out that uh we really want to talk about these books in depth and we haven't really been able to do that because we didn't want to ruin it for anybody so we uh kind of scooted that to the back of the to, to the back of the podcast so that uh, we can talk about it generally and then go into specifics if anybody doesn't want to hear about any spoilers or anything like that. So, yeah, this is one of those books. Um, and let me give you a background for me, too. I'm the, I'm the fantasy guy. I'm not really, I don't have really much of a background in sci-fi. Never saw the movie for Ender's Game, knew it existed. But again, not a huge sci-fi fan. Uh, sorry, guys, I do not like really Star Wars or Star Trek. It's something that uh, I have to repent of still, but... I am open to giving them another shot. So, coming into Ender's Game, I was a little bit hesitant, but Daniel said it was one of his uh, 
I think one of your favorite books you said, and then a guy I worked with also said it was his favorite, I think his first or second favorite book, period. And he is uh, quite the reader. So I decided to take the recommendation and uh, jump in. And once I did, I could not get out of the book. I think that I finished it, it's not too long, it's only like 10 hours of audio, but I finished it in uh, I think two to four days at the most. And it was just a great book. I was amazed that uh, after reading, you know, bigger novels, you know, 30 to 40 40 hour titles, uh, usually is what I do, that he got so much done in in such a short amount of time. But he did a great job of it. Um, Yeah, why don't you you summarize the book for us? Sure, yeah. The basic premise is that the Earth in the near future is at war with an alien race called the Buggers that they derogatorily call the Buggers. And the military is recruiting children to train to fight this alien race. And the main character is named Andrew Ender Wiggins, and he is not what you would call a normal young boy one of like the smartest children in the world and this is a world where there are already like super intelligent children they've done diff- I forget different scientific things in the background of the book in order to have children that are at this increased level of intelligence and Inder is picked to go to a military academy where he is training to to fight these these aliens, and the book follows him. The most most of the book follows him in his journey to survive against bullies that are trying to really hurt him, and in some cases uh, do him harm that is very severe. And also, he is trying to cope with being a child thrust into. A situation that is quite over his head and really he should not be in to this degree and that is basically the overall premise of the book yeah it's uh it goes through quite a bit in a short period of time so it's hard to not say much beyond that well, i think i Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, it's fine. The some of the things that stuck out to me were the amount of depth that goes into this book. Into this book, that's on the surface sort of sounds like a lot of books. A kid going off to a school to learn how to defeat some great evil, but in the end, this is a, a really brutal and violent book. There are some very disturbing scenes that involve ender and violence being perpetrated against him that he ends in brutal ways and the book does not shy away from those things yeah and the thing with that too that you have to understand about the main character and this is really i don't feel it's betraying anything to say is that ender does not like violence he doesn't like to hurt he doesn't want to hurt anybody and that's what makes it such a good internal conflict character because he's kind of forced into these situations where he has to do things to to survive and to defend himself that, that he abhors and it kind of goes against the, the person he's trying to be and that just makes it uh, it makes it so much more um, it makes him such a better character for it I think yeah it, it... It is interesting, and there's a point in the book where Ender is told that that is the quality that is in him that differs him from his brother, who is another big part of the book, that is equally as smart and equally as willing or able to to do the things that Ender does, but lacks that sort of desire to not hurt others and this aversion to violence. Yeah, and to speak to a point earlier in the book, one of the uh, military 
leaders who speaks with Edra's sister, he actually uh, says to her, you know, I know that there are only a handful of college professors that are as intelligent as you, and his sister is in between him and his brother as far as age goes. So these three kids, you know, again, are probably like top 20 minds on earth, you know, uh, at that time. So it's really interesting, too, because you, unlike a lot of characters, it's much more rational because he is so intelligent and he rationalizes everything so it's it kind of makes him a unique uh unique protagonist too really really enjoyable yeah i i think that the the book as a whole really brings themes to the forefront in the way that it handles these ideas of militarization especially of children and then basically the destruction of childhood and as the book progresses, it starts out like you're realizing, oh, they're recruiting these children, and then it just keeps going and going and getting more and more serious, and these themes just get, keep getting more rich as the book sort of progresses to its climax. Yeah, absolutely. He just the way that he develops the book throughout the course of it, it and um, kind of like you said, you know, the way that you see Ender, I think he starts out at six, right? Uh, yeah, it's fairly young. Yeah, I think he's six in the very beginning of the book, and I think it ends when he's just about 16, so you know, in the span of 10 hours, you go through 10 years, I think, and maybe, no, I'm sorry, he's not 16. Uh, he's younger than that, I forget how old. He's like a, or an 11 or 12, as I yeah, recall. You're right, because most people would be 16 before they get to where he is, but, um, the way that you see almost uh, the child in him just kind of fade and uh, he becomes more more, more than adult um, throughout it, it's really unique and it's really worth your time. Yeah, it's sort of interesting to me that when this movie came out, the this book that's really this mature this mature book that I'm not sure is really appropriate for definitely not appropriate for the kids that are Ender's age as the book is written but it sort of because it stars the movie starred younger kids and they wanted to make that marketed you know they wanted to market that in a way that would appeal to people that they would actually go see it the book suddenly got these really slick looking covers and got put onto the young adult bookshelves at the at the uh, the bookstore and i just when that happened i just like thought about these themes and the the depth and the brutality of the book and wondered is this really appropriate for that age group are they going to be able to to understand what exactly is happening in this book and maybe i don't give the younger audiences that would be reading it at that level enough credit but I think that it is something that really needs to be thought about and not just enjoyed as some rip-snorting adventure that because it's really not yeah no you're totally right one of the things that Orson Scott Card the author of the book um, would not agree to is allowing an older character to be the protagonist which is what he said that many many uh, you know producers tried to get him to buy into uh, he wanted to maintain you know the, the integrity of the book when he, when he made it but also in the interview I was listening to he said that he was surprised at how many like young teens or even earlier than teens were reading this book and writing to him about it and saying, you know I, if I would have read this thing when I was that age probably wouldn't have been good for me um, just because like you said it really is quite brutal and unless you're careful enough to understand it enough to understand his point of view for what it is it could really it could really make um, a younger kid I think a little bit more violent than they should be so discerning about that yeah and that's that's one of the things that's important about any piece of media whether it be a book or television show or something is just just 
think about things in a level that's appropriate and just use discernment on what you're allowing your a younger person to read or yourself to interact with and just actually think about things at a, at a critical level and not just become this consumer that is reading and, and watching things without actually using their brain to think what is this show presenting is, that, is it a worldview that is good is the the creator of whatever the piece of media is trying to communicate something to me and what is that do i agree with it what are my beliefs about these things and that's sort of what i hope to promote to some degree with on the podcast is just getting people to think more critically about the things that they're reading or watching and i think that's something that's really sorely lacking in the today's culture in america yeah well it's funny you say that um, probably about an hour ago i have a zoe is three years old three and a half now and she's pretty bright for her age and she talks really well she communicates with us and uh, we're pretty strict with her and she's very well behaved so it you know it seems to be going well so far but uh she took a late nap and so about an hour and a half ago we were we were watching uh, the movie white christmas and um there was one part where uh i think it's danny k hits bing crosby just like uh it's part of an act and my daughter uh was like he hit him that wasn't very nice and uh whenever we get to things like that in shows we always try to you know i always say to my daughter and my wife says now zoe is that a good thing to do no you know are you going to do that to somebody else no and so we try to we try to teach her through the shows she watches obviously she's not watching anything too crazy at this point but uh you know that she doesn't want to emulate the bad guys or the bad things that even the good characters are doing and uh, you really have to instill that in a young age with kids because they're gonna if you don't they're just gonna grow up thinking it's okay and it's gonna be harder to change course later so yeah I think that's really important even for us as adults too not just not just for children but be mindful of what you're putting into your you know into your mind and into your heart um, you know Philippians 4 so yeah, and I think there are some parents that will do things like that with their children at a younger age, and then at some point they think maybe that their children has a grasp on morality, and they think, okay, now now I can stop and I can not reinforce those things. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's got to be something that you got to do your whole life. I have another friend. She is uh, one of the godliest people I know, and he was watching, he's big into sports, and he was watching this sports show, and I think they might have said a, you know, a less severe, very, it might not even be a cuss word, I'm not sure, but he said something that wasn't very good, and he had, his son is like uh, five or six, I think, and some of us had heard it, and he was like, uh, you know, hey dad, what, what's up with that, and friend just was like yeah you know i had to tell him it wasn't right and uh, now, we, now he just abstains from it too which i don't think that every parent has to do but i think that uh you know i think i, I definitely respect his decision to you know be willing to cut that out of his own life to you know basically uh protect that priority that is his, his child um you know there's going to be different different spots where people fall on that but for sure, you know, as, as parents with the children we've been entrusted, we have to, you know, do we do what we can to teach them the biblical worldview and to uh, not love the things of the world and, uh, and what they promote. Yeah, and coming back to the book in that regard, there is this society within the world of the book that has basically taken the children and thrust them right into a world of politics and of the military and really not 
given them the ability to form a to have the the time to form a coherent world view and yet ender has some sort of empathy that has has led him to do certain actions and one wonders in a world where kids are possibly growing up too quickly and interacting with things that are giving them the ability to to look at things and to experience things that are beyond their level of maturity do those same kids have these emotional and uh, really worldview uh, world, a basic worldview in order to interact with those things on a correct level and I think this book is, is relevant to the current situation in that regard yeah and even with current events that are going on this week last night I was watching I live in New York but I was watching some of the riots that were happening across across our nation regarding the presidency and, and you know our kids are going to see those things and we have to make sure that we're teaching them how to interpret them correctly and, and what they are so whether that be in a fictional world or whether that be in real life you know that, that's something we need to be in guard for but uh, yeah it's a good point uh, did you want to jump into some of the spoiler stuff, or did you have some more uh, theme-related information? Well, yeah, I, th- I think we can do that, but I think uh, we would both recommend this book as something worthwhile to read. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, yeah, from, from this point on, we will be discussing the plot of the book, and it will definitely spoil things that people will really want to experience when they read the book. By the way, neither of us, I don't think you've seen the movie you said, right? No, I haven't seen it. I've purposely, it's one of those things where I just, I don't, even if the movie is good, I don't think it'll live up to the book in my mind, and so I don't want to experience it. (laughs) If you have seen the movie, but you have not read the book or listened to it, please, for your own sake, stop this recording now pick up the book because the movie is not going to be like daniel said it's probably not going to be anywhere close to the book and as far as how good it is so it might be a great piece of cinematography that's awesome but i guarantee you they could not fit everything that happened in 10 hours of this book into you know an hour and a half of screen time so that would be my exhortation to you all right so this is the spoiler time and we'll just start out with it Ender goes to this academy. He starts to learn to command troops, and he has a final test that he is doing a simulation of the of fighting against the the buggers, the alien race. And after defeating the the simulation, the simulated battle. He is told that it wasn't simulated at all and that he was actually commanding real pilots of spaceships to fight that alien race and he basically commits xenocide and wipes out that entire alien race yeah mind blown oh my gosh are you kidding me i was sitting I remember it was right before I texted you about it. I was sitting in a coffee shop. I am taking a college course for work right now, and I had taken a break from my homework to uh, get through some of the book just as a, uh, just a little break for myself. And I was thinking to myself, he's only got two hours left in this, or like one hour or whatever. How in the world is this thing going to resolve itself? And I remember in the book, uh, I think it's Nisa uh, Rackham or however you say his name uh, he said hey there's going to be some other people standing in the room with you today is that going to be okay and he was like and he was just like yeah whatever it's fine and then like when he gets done he just turns around and like people are crying and he's just like and I was just so confused I'm like what's going on and then you find out that he, he won the war and it's just like what yeah, I've got that it opened to that page if you want me to to read it okay go right ahead it says 
Colonel Graff detached himself from the others and came to Ender. Tears streamed down his face, but he was smiling. He bent over, reached out his arms, and to Ender's surprise, he embraced him, held him tightly, and whispered, Thank you, Ender. Thank you, Ender. Thank God for you, Ender. The others soon came, too, shaking his hand, congratulating him. He tried to make sense of this. Had he passed the test, after all? It was his victory, not theirs, and a hollow one at that, a cheat. Why did they act as if he had won with honor? The crowd parted, and Mazer Rackham walked through. He came straight to Ender and held out his hand. You made the hard choice, boy. All or nothing. End them or end us. But heaven knows there was no other way you could have done it. Congratulations. You beat them, and it's all over. All over? <laughs> and then he goes on to say, the Mazer Rackham character says, Ender, you never played me. You played a ga you never played a game since I became your enemy. And it's, just, it's insane. I, I had the same, basically the same experience as you when I first read the book. I was getting towards the end, and I thought, man, there's not enough book here. There's not enough pages for him to actually fight these things. Like, is it just going to be one of those things where it says, and then he went and fought them, and it's over, and he won, or something. And I thought, how is that, that going to be resolved? And then I got to this point, and it was this it's not the word twist like a, a twist ending has sort of cheapened the the plot where you get the carpet pulled out from under you and the things that you thought before are not exactly what was happening and i think that through just people trying to have some sort of twist ending that doesn't a lot of times it doesn't deserve the movie doesn't deserve this twist ending it hasn't earned it but in this book, the whole book has been building up to this point. You've seen the peop this military and this government thrusting a child into this, this situation that's just out of there. You know, they shouldn't be putting them in. And then they get to this point where they have a child unknowingly destroy an entire race of sentient beings. And it's insane. Well, and that was the thing with the book, too, because, you know, Ender was, I mean, even at one point, Ender says, you know, what if, I think it's to Mazer Rackham, he says um, something to the effect of, you know, what if what if the buggers aren't coming back? What if they're leaving us alone? And whoever he was speaking to was just like, no, that's not the case. They started this, we're going to end it. And Ender is, like, the vehicle to end it, uh, appropriately given his name. But, but the way that they frame everything, like you said, because it could have felt like a, uh, it could have, it could have ruined the book. The ending really could have just made everything a failure if he hadn't gone about it the way he did. Right, yeah, if he hadn't earned the ending. Yeah, exactly. But he justified it so well. And Mazerak, I think it was Mazerak, or maybe it was Graf, uh, whoever was talking to him basically said, you know, if you knew what you were doing, you never would have done it. He was right. Yeah. He was right. Ender is too soft-hearted to actually destroy, you know, an entire race of aliens and, uh, you know, buggers. And so it was really like he, he resolved a potential issue and plot um, through it, as well as made a really just unexpected, awesome ending to the book. So. Yeah, and you, you spoke earlier about Ender's empathy and his compassion that he has and his really his willing his desire to not kill and not to harm others and that scene the thing you're talking about when he's he's realized what he's done and he he's talking to Graf actually and he's talking to Graf and Mazer at the same time and Graf says but somebody with that much compassion they, they say basically he needed they needed someone with that compassion and empathy to lead people. Yeah. And he says, but somebody with that much compassion could never be the killer we needed, could never go into battle willing to win at all costs. If you knew, you couldn't do it. If you were the kind of person who would do it, even if you knew, you could never have understood the buggers well enough. Yeah. And I mean, even leading up to that last, because he's told it's his final test, I think, in, in um, 
pilot school, I think it is. Or yeah. Whatever it's called. Command or, school or something, I believe. Yeah, yep. And Ender has been pushed to his limits. He's been going through battle after battle after battle, getting less sleep and less sleep. But that's been like the course of his life for the last three to four years, where they're just pushing him, pushing him. So he, I think he assumed that they were just pushing him until he broke. Um, and then when, when they came to him and said, hey, this is this is it, this is your final test, uh, you know, go do it. Bead, uh, is it Bead or Bean? Sorry. Bead, uh, I think, was a nickname for P-Shot, Dawn of Wonder. <laughs> but uh, Bean kind of, you know, Ender just kind of looks at everything. He's like, we're outnumbered a thousand to one. There's absolutely no way that we can do this. And then uh, Bean says, hey, uh, he just kind of references something from their time together in the last school. And Ender just kind of says, you know what? I don't care. We're going to win. And he, he kind of prides himself, I think, a little bit in playing outside the rules but not really like cheating because it's still possible and that's a theme in the book you know you can't assume you understand the rules because if something works it works uh, like you know, gravity you know up isn't up and zero gravity things like that you have to just think differently about it so he just kind of takes it as this like this challenge where he's going to beat them and, and he didn't really take it seriously for what it was and I think that's what made him so so dangerous he didn't have that conservatism that, that uh, anybody with that knowledge would have had yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting how they set up how he set up Ender as this person that was willing to think outside the box and that's what they needed and then to have him get to a point where he uses that ability thinking he's giving them basically an a big giant up yours to, for lack of a better way to phrase it and yet that's exactly what they needed him to do and it's this great it's really ironic in that sense yeah, yeah. What, uh, what was your favorite part well I can tell you that the most disturbing part is but I don't know that I have a favorite part of this book I suppose I suppose I I really found the there's a tablet based a tablet computer basically that he's using even though the book was written in the 1980s and the the scenes with it are sort of surreal he's basically playing this adventure game that is influencing his you know with with different puzzles and things and then they're also influencing him and I didn't. I, I, it's been a while since I read the book, but that, that part always sort of seemed really surreal to me, even though I don't think it was meant to be. But I, I really enjoyed those those parts. Yeah, it was really interesting because um, it just seemed so strange. It was like the fantasy, it was like the fantasy little corner of the science fiction story um, where like, because I, I think he started, I forget where he started, but he ended up like with the giant and killing the giant and then you know in this playground with all these wolves that were actually his classmates and all these crazy things where he just had to do again very brutal uh, brutal things to them to survive in this fantasy world and yeah that was definitely uh, surreal it's definitely interesting how I think those those parts sort of give you an idea of the, the how the story goes but as you're reading it, you don't really pick up those those things. And he really did create a work that just is so dense and shows where the book is going, but you don't expect it. And yeah. I, I wrote a review of of this book and I put it up on my website, flyfoxproductions.com. And this was Yeah, this was last year in December. And the way I started it out, I said, it is not often that a book comes along that feels like it drags you out of bed and shoves your head straight into the toilet. I mean that in a good way. Perhaps a different analogy would work better. It is not often that a book comes along that feels like it takes you and throws you naked into a snowstorm. 
What I mean to say is that this book is a brutal wake-up call to what the world of fiction can achieve when theme and story come together. You do have a way with words. <laughs> um, no, I think that's great. Yeah. Why don't you elaborate on that? I think that's really good. Well, basically, this book, there. I think the most brutal part of this book is when Ender is at the the school learning about you know commanding and all this stuff and he's attacked in the showers and in order to get away from these attackers he so you know he he just brutally fights back and kills a child by kicking him so hard in the crotch basically that the kid ends up dying and Ender doesn't know that he's killed him, but he like sees the kid's look after he's <laughs> he's done this to him. That it's it's just like insane. It's incredibly brutal. And basically, this is a a child that has been put in a situation where he's having to fight for his life in a shower, and it's like a it's like a prison ultimately at that point. Like you've you've taken a child that should be being nurtured by his parents taking him out of that environment and put him in this crazy brutal environment you've ultimately by the end of the book tricked him into killing all these these you know this entire alien race and this book is just like this crazy brutal at times but also engaging and compelling and thematic and you have the whole story and plot works perfectly and you're at the end of it you enjoyed reading this crazy book that is about killing an entire alien race and defending yourself so brutally as a child that you are killing people and yet by the end of the book you've enjoyed reading this thing and it's not like in a sadistic way it's just so well crafted and the themes are explored in a way that that really works on so many levels. I ended that same review in a way that I think possibly could explain what I feel about it. It says, I like this book, but I'm not sure I love this book. It's one of the best science fiction novels ever written, one of my favorites. I would recommend it to someone regardless of their genre preferences. The themes and endings stuck with me. But the story was great. The story transcended its themes and demonstrated the thing that all great books need to show the world, that they're fun to read, regardless of whether or not they are a bully that wants to give you a swirly and throw you out into the snow. Yeah, I think that's great. I really, really like that review. And you, have a, you all have read the book, I hope, at this <laughs> Yeah, I really hope you didn't spoil it for yourself because that experience that we both had the same exact experience and I I think is is just necessary for this kind of a story. Some books you can know the ending and the book will still be compelling and you'll still enjoy it. But there's things like this book that just so much more it means so much more when you don't know the outcome and you see Ender's journey and you see him not wanting to hurt people and ultimately them having to protect him from the knowledge that he's killed this other kid and then you get to the point and they sort of callously tell him yeah you just killed every every single one of those creatures yeah and he was the only one i i think in the whole book that you're aware of he was the only one that didn't feel good about it because um, everybody else viewed it as a great thing and a service to humanity. And Ender was the only one who actually cared to, to consider his enemy. And Ender has a, has a conversation, I think it's with Valerie, his sister. Um, and he, because basically the way that Ender gets everything done that he does, and he had a similar instance in the beginning of the book where he accidentally killed a kid in the exact same way he did with, with Bonesville Madrid in the showers. Um, but, you know, he basically says to his sister, you know, I have to understand my enemy. I need to know about them. And it's because I understand them that I, I can, you 
he'll kind of guess what they'll do, and, and I can and I can beat him for it. And he said, but what he says is no. But my problem is when I understand somebody like that, I love them, even if they're detestable people, whatever. He's like, I understand them well enough to love them deeply, and to have to hurt them when when he loves them, it just kills him, it destroys him inside, which is what makes. And I, don't, I think it's interesting that um, the author really didn't go more into it. It was just kind of like an aside at the end where he finds the uh, the cocoon for the uh, for the um, bugger queen, uh, and he kind of understands everything. Uh, you know, it's just like it kind of comes full circle that you know what he just killed this peaceful race that was going to totally leave him alone, but it doesn't affect him at the end. And I think that. I think that that was Orson Scott's car, Scott Card's intention, because Ender, and maybe that's me reading a little bit too far into it, but maybe Ender has just changed so much by the end of the book that he's not really affected by that in the same way anymore. He's just so jaded and callous to it. I, I don't know, but uh, it was interesting that he didn't have a, you know, more of a reaction at the end when he found that out. Um, but. Uh, yeah, Ender certainly was an empathetic uh, character who rationally did what he needed to to survive. Um, and, the, and the thing of the showers, too, I think that made that so... It, it, that was really a turning point for him, because Ender said... Ender knew they were kind of coming for him, and he was like, you know, okay, the teachers put me into this situation, the teachers will get me out. Just like they had when he had his monitor before he... Uh, when they were monitoring him. And uh, then no teachers came. And he was surrounded by all these older kids in his school in his shower. And they were all kind of taunting him. And he, you know, he used his intelligence to kind of, to kind of outplay them and outsmart them. And unfortunately, he did end up killing Bones of Madrid. But uh, as soon as he ended the fight, you see the medics rushing. And Ender just thinks to himself, yeah, they were waiting. Nobody is going to help me. I have to do this on my own. And so that part was, like Daniel said, probably the most brutal part in the book. And at the same time, it was kind of the turning point for Ender where he realized that he couldn't rely on anybody other than himself. And so it was an incredibly brutal scene. And it was probably the, or not, not scene, but part of the book that, uh, that changed him from understanding that, oh, there's going to be people who are going to help me to feeling like he needs to be self-sufficient in all things. So that was a really, really significant, uh, significant part of the book. Yeah, that's, that's one of the, the most impressive things about this book. And in, in a lot of things you have, you have a scene like that, that doesn't, that just works on one level. That's meant to be sort of an action scene that, that keeps people interested but in this book it's not that at all and he writes it in a way that, <clears throat> in a way that makes you just incredibly disgusted and you feel this deep empathy with Ender about having to be in this situation and yet like you said that is the turning point in the book where he and and the thing they wanted him to do they were putting him in this situation so that he would develop this particular skill so that he'd be able to to kill and to do these things and it's it's kind of crazy but there are sequels and the second book so the first this Ender's Game won the two at the time at least the two biggest awards in science, science fiction and fantasy the Hugo and the Nebula awards and then the sequel also won those awards and it's Speaker for the Dead and I have not read it I, I've kind of been hesitant to, even though I own it, just because Ender's Game is so satisfying a book that I don't know that I actually want to move on in the series. And I, I don't think if I do end up reading it that I'll go past it. Yeah, I have a buddy who read, um, I forget the name of the book, the one you just mentioned, um, The Book of the Dead or... Speaker for the Dead. I have my buddy who 
actually, my friend wanted to name his son Ender, uh, and his wife vetoed it, but he actually ended up naming his son, I think the initials are JP, and it was Ender's father's name he named him, um, which I thought was really funny. But um, he said uh, he really liked, he really loved that book. So Yeah, and, and, and Orson Scott Card actually took the original novella that he wrote called Ender's Game and turned it into a novel, rewrote it into a novel, so that he could write Speaker for the Dead as his main goal. Like, that's what he wanted to write. And he didn't intend with Ender's Game to really create this masterpiece, necessarily, but to really just set the stage for Speaker for the Dead. Yeah, and even when he did make Ender's Game, and it, it got, you know, before Ender's Game was Ender's Game, it was a uh, story in a magazine just about the battle school um, which I thought was really interesting and then he built the rest of the story kind of around the battle school so uh, if you're interested in the book or if you like the book definitely check out Orson Scott Card's interviews on it on the topic um, you'll learn a lot another thing is it's not traditional prose it was actually uh, meant to be read aloud so if you do get the chance the audiobook that I did was I think the 20th anniversary edition uh, Stefan Rudnicki I think played narrated Ender and there were a few other voice actors that did um, Valerie and even Orson Scott Card actually uh, was in, was a narrator for a small portion of the book so yeah it's, it's sort of interesting because the book the books the book has become this really the you know up there with the greats of not only science fiction but of like 20th century literature and it's on all kinds of lists of the best of and all this stuff and it's also on the marine corps commandant's recommended reading list but it's kind of funny that he wrote the book in a way he has stated that he wrote the book as sort of simple as he could and not in a way that he was trying to be literary or trying to write some sort of you know, great literature. He, he wanted it to have the themes and it wanted to have those be in there for the people that wanted to analyze it and stuff. But he also wanted to write it in a way that people could actually read and enjoy and understand. And sometimes that's the, you know, a lot of the times it seems that's the best way to try and craft a, a story is to just write it simply and not try to be some sort of postmodern, like amazing, like crazy prose that just goes all out and tries draws attention to itself, but rather just writing simply and that's what lasts. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we've sort of wrapped up our opinions on this book and sort of discuss things at a, in a pretty good way. Is there anything else you wanted to add? No, no, I think that, uh, yeah, I think we've talked about a lot of the book. Obviously there's a lot more to it, but, uh, by next week I will have read, uh, Legion or listen to it by Brandon Sanderson, a book that you recommended and, uh, just generally I've heard great things about. So, uh, maybe next week we'll talk about that or something else, but uh, just want to thank you guys for for listening in here. I want to remind you about our Twitter page, Tales from the SP, not South Pole, but the Silent Planet, and uh, that's our Twitter name, and then we also have a Facebook group, a Facebook page, so definitely check that out. Uh, but uh, any final thoughts for you? Uh, just to say that we are actually going to be posting uh, some sort of written reviews and, and articles, blog entries on flyfoxproductions.com. Uh, there's already some stuff up there from that I've written uh, previously, but we'll try to get some of that stuff up and hopefully be pretty consistent on that as well. All right, so again, we've gotten one recommendation. Please do not hesitate to let us know uh, what you would like to hear us talk about. We will do what we can to uh, talk about what we can and we look forward to getting to know you all better. And we'll see you again next time.